Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, I've got uh, got multiple screens going here and <laughs> trying to get this uh, on the road. We talked this morning about the meaning of the word ecclesia, and uh, there has been information going around for a long time, and, and it's real popular in the home church movement. And I'm a big advocate for home church gatherings or home congregations or whatever you want to call it. But they they push their agenda so much because they have an aversion to what they call the institutional church. I have a little bit of, I don't really have an aversion to the institutional church. I just know it's not doing what Christ said. Your comment, I, I, I was listening to a couple of preachers that somebody sent me a copy of their videos or audios in, in one case. And I was listening to it and it is uh, very sweet sounding, very wonderful. People listen to that and they think, oh, this is so true. It's so, so wonderful. But it has nothing to do with the gospel of the kingdom. It has nothing to do with what Christ was doing. It's not going to get you persecuted, although you probably think it's persecuted, persecution when it comes. The, the nation, the whole world, is going away from the kingdom of God, and the ones leading them away from the kingdom of God is the blind leading the blind. It's people who don't understand the kingdom, don't see the kingdom, don't see what the ecclesia, the church, I mean, that they translate the word ecclesia into the common word church. Now, when they first started translating the Bible into English, some were using congregation, and actually some of the early were using kirke, and there was a reason for this. And I I really don't like the, the word church, because it isn't really a translation. It, it's, it's just the word that they're putting there instead of ecclesia. If you wanted to translate ecclesia, you know, one of the best ways to translate it is to simply translate it literally, which means the called out. And Jesus was referring to the ecclesia as those he called. He said to those he called, his little flock, that he would appoint to them a kingdom. And so there's actually an ecclesia, and the word ecclesia in the Greek is very specific. It, it's been very specific for a really a long, long time. <laughs> and so, uh, the idea that uh, uh, it just means assembly is a fiction and a fraud. It is absolutely untrue. And anybody trying to perpetrate that idea upon you is doing the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of Jesus Christ, a great disservice. And, unfortunately, that's not the only thing that they teach that is incorrect. And so, on a Facebook group, you know, somebody brought this up and was saying that the term ecclesia was vague. No, the term ecclesia is not vague. The term ecclesia has been around for a long, long time. 
is around in Greece for a long, long time. It was very specific. Now, the duties of the ecclesia would vary from city-state to city-state and from, you know, different times. You know, I mean, we see the ecclesia already existing in 600 B.C. at the time of uh, Draco of Athens. That they, and I have quotes now on our page on the ecclesia about Draco in 600 B.C., 600 years before Christ, was the Ecclesia was already functioning in Athens. So what was the Ecclesia? What was it doing functioning in Athens? And I will probably add to the page. I, I looked up, just, I mean, you just Google it. You know, the word Ecclesia in ancient Greece and uh, Homer or Plato or some of these other people who are using the term. And you'll find different articles of Encyclopedia Britannica and other sources. Now, some people say, well, you're going outside of the Bible and getting these other sources outside of the Bible. Well, how'd you learn English? Did you learn English by studying the Bible? You went outside of the Bible and got a dictionary. You you can get a concordance that tells you, you know, a dictionary isn't really going to tell you because the word church, to some degree, changes over a period of time. I mean, for over a hundred years, the word church in the Black's Law Dictionary has been defined, defined as, you know, established, the church is established by Jesus Christ for his purposes, you know, his doctrines and his ordinances, for the propagation of his ordinances, you know, what he said to do and what he said not to do. And the, and the church, but the key thing there is that it was established by Jesus Christ. In the second part of that definition, it says the church is one form of government. Now, if I were to say that to home churchers because they hate the institutional church that they see, the modern institutional church that they see, and I understand why many of them hate it. I, I can't tell you why all of them hate it. I'm sure some of them have a variety of reasons. But it's unsatisfying. For a lot of people that listen to these milquetoast sermons and or self-righteous sermons and think, well, that's not really doing it for me. <laughs> you know, they they don't think, or or they see the pastors not manifesting the character of Christ. You know, like I was talking about uh, Whitehead who got robbed of a million dollars of jewelry that he was wearing, him and his wife were wearing during church services. And, and, you know, to me, that's just astounding. I'm pretty sure Jesus wasn't walking around with a million dollars worth of jewelry. And none of the apostles were either. I mean, Peter says, so in gold I have I none. Well, so that pastor can't say that. Well, he can say it now because he got robbed of a million dollars worth of gold jewelry. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just gold I have none. I don't know. I, they still, he still got his Rolls Royce. But the reality is none of that has anything to do with the church or the ecclesia or whatever word you want to use. I, when I first started to go public and write down some of the things that I had been putting together for a uh, quarter of a century uh, in my studies, 
Yeah, I didn't even like to use the word church. It's, it's so abused and misused. I didn't like to use it. But I realized that that's my personal resentment. You want to find the truth or you want to get all upset because somebody's misusing a word. They are misusing the word church. The institutional modern church is misusing the word church. Yeah, it should be translated something like the called out. That would be a good translation of the word, the called out. But that's not that's not what you see. But you can put that down. You can put ecclesia down. You can put the called out down. You can just memorize that that's what church really means. But then there's more to understanding what the church is than just the called out. Called out for what? Well, according to that Black's Law Dictionary definition, for the purposes of Christ, for the propagation of His doctrines, His teachings. You know, what he said, it was established by him. And, of course, we see Jesus calling his apostles to come follow me. You know, to leave behind the world. To be in the world, sure, but not of the world. So, you you were to be separate from the world. This is very important to understand what an ecclesia is. Because the ecclesias of Greece... For hundreds of years, were separated out from the general population. Now, the general population could come to all their meetings. In, in some of the city-states, the meetings was 40 times a year. The ecclesia would meet 40 times a year. This is for hundreds of years. You know, the, the, the one during the, the reign of Draco, which was only like 24 years, 25 years, something like that, it only lasted about 200 years. And corruption set in, generally in, the, in society and in the government, and it collapsed. One of the reasons why is most of the ecclesias that so far that I've studied, and, and we can look at numerous city-states where they had these ecclesias, and actually used the word ecclesia. They were called the ecclesia. They called out, which were summoned citizens. Uh, that's one of the ways in which they translate the called out. Called because they were summoned. Citizens because they were citizens of that particular city, state, or nation. And they were called out for a particular purpose. And like I said, in different city, states, that would involve certain things that might not be exactly the same in another city, state. But they were called out to a position an official office of service. And they could be called out by the people. They could be called out by the government, uh, by the legislature, uh, legislature. But one of the things, they almost always were called out in democracies. Not always, but most of the ecclesias you see were called out in democracies. Or something similar to a democracy, but distinctively different, which would be in a republic. And, of course, then there were indirect democracies and direct democracy. You could have a direct democracy because there was another word for assembly, which we cover on that page at preparingyou.com. And that other word was agora. Now, agora usually referred to all the citizens, or at least all the male heads of family. And they would gather in a particular area and decide things. 
And uh, now, what would they decide? You know, like, see, all the people that would gather in this particular area and decide things concerning this city-state were also the militia, the the army. You know, you, you were expected the right to bear arms amongst the people, generally. Now, some city-states were different. If we were in Sparta, most of the people were not armed. Most of the people were not, didn't have any voting rights. The Hoplite, the, the soldiers who were the real Spartans, they had all the rights. Well, they didn't have all the rights because they actually elected certain, you know, Lysurgists and different people to make choices for them. But the, the majority of the population in Sparta were in subject positions under the authority of the Spartans. The Spartans were not freedom fighters. They were freedom fighters for Spartans, but for most of the people that lived in that area, they were not free. As a matter of fact, their life could be forfeited overnight. One time, the Spartans actually needed assistance in fighting a battle because they were up against a very large enemy. And so they agreed to take the best physically capable people of the general population, which was the majority of the people in Sparta. You know, they did farming. They did, you know, work with metal. They made weapons. They made carts. They made all the things that you need in a society. But they weren't armed. They had no vote. They weren't allowed to own gold or silver. The currency in Sparta was lead. Because gold in the hands of the people was the enemy of the Spartans. The people were to remain subject. And like I say, that if they tried to step out of line, a Spartan could kill them pretty quick. Uh, but they needed them now. And so they agreed to train up the best of their people, the young men uh, who would fight and they taught them the art of war they allowed them to have swords they allowed them to have shields they allowed them to have spears and slings and they were going to fight in the army and hopefully win the day and they did win uh, with the help of the Spartan army but they needed the, the more manpower and then they were going to give them all awards so they you know they dressed them in fine uh, garb that, uh, you know, white garments, and they brought them up to their, their hill, their temple hill, that were for, normally only for Spartans, and they were going to give them, uh, uh, some sort of honor or reward or whatever it was. And they got them up on the hill, uh, dressed in white garments, and they killed them all. Because they knew these men are now trained. These men have now had a taste of freedom and power. They have a sense of military tactics. We can't afford them to go back and teach these to their family or in a generation. We will no longer be the head of Sparta. So this is your freedom fighter, Sparta. You know, I mean, they make their movies and you watch their movies, but let's not be silly. That's not what was going on. You need to understand real history. This is why there's been such a concerted effort to take history out of the schools and distort history and distort, uh, you know, the people who lived history and what was really going on. And, and they do it 
by saying that history was distorted before. And history is always distorted because, you know, there is bias among historians. But if everybody works at it, everybody really tries to do the research, you'll find out the truth has a way of bubbling to the surface. But we've, we find similar things in other city-states uh, that, you know, operated different. Sparta was pretty unique. There were other city-states that were in between that and states like Athens. Athens was big for loaning money and borrowing money. They had a bank. They had, we've talked about the reserve fund, which was their golden statue. And that was a part of their social welfare system, which is another thing that I've been looking up more and more. You know, what was the social welfare systems in these nations? And when did it change? And why did it change? And the reason why uh, that we need to know that, because it's part of the big picture. And all of our shows, all of our uh, articles are trying to give you the big picture. Sometimes we examine just a particular piece of the puzzle. You know, like I said, if you had a 100,000-piece puzzle there and you're putting them together, one tactic is to take all the blue pieces and put them together, all the pieces of a certain color and put them together, because you're trying, you figure that those will all be together and you're trying to get them because then you have fewer pieces to pick from and see how they fit together. And you put together a little piece over here and a little piece over here and a little piece over here and then you start figuring out how these go into the picture. But one of the most critical things to help you put the puzzle together is know what the puzzle looks like and know what the puzzle is trying to portray. And of course, what we're trying to see, what we're seeking is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we're looking for a picture that is righteous and a government. Because the kingdom of God is a government. It's just not... But see, I say the word government, and everybody goes like, yeah, government. You know, because the only government they know is a government that exercises authority one over the other. A government of rulers. Uh, what they call archa, or arche, or arconians. And that was one of the jobs of the Ecclesia in some of the city-states, is to elect, or either nominate, or elect, archons, which are ruling judges. I mean, that's they're part of the judicial system to rule over the people, make decisions as to what was right and wrong. Another... Uh, thing that they were supposed to do is elect the commander in chief of the military for a particular, you know, whoever was going to be the strategist in deciding how we are going to proceed in battle. They were to elect that. Because if you just left that to everybody, some guys will say, well, I want to follow him, and that other guys will say, I want to follow him. You needed to have one guy who was kind of a strategist. Now, he's not going to boss everybody around, but he's going to say, okay, we're going to, these guys over there, how about you, Steve, and Bob, and all the people following you, you go this way, and, you know, maybe I should have Greek names, uh, you know, uh, you guys go this way, and then we'll flank the enemy, you guys run up the middle and get them to charge down after you through the valley, and then we will flank them on both sides. And so, you know, that that's the strategist. And he's elected by the ecclesia. 
And that's what they call them, the ecclesia. And that was one of their tasks to do. So they had, they were involved in, in almost every case, they were involved in establishing the judiciary of their court system. They were also involved in establishing the strategist in their military. The guy who, you know, I say strategist because the Greek word for that particular office is where we get the word strategist and strategy because he was kind of the coordinator so it wasn't just a bunch of guys out there on the field. I mean, they didn't have one of those uh, that people would listen to when the Jacobites were slaughtered. They didn't have a strategist. And so some of the guys started running out and the other guys said, well, we can't just let our guys run out on the field. we got to go and follow them. So they started following them and they all just ran into a trap. Same thing happened with the Gauls. They didn't have a strategist, at least one. They might have had some semblance of that, but they didn't have one because they were so tribal and, and divided, which is this is probably should be a part of our tribal series. So that people can listen to this. But the people were so divided in their tribe that when their tribe took off, they all took off with their tribe. And, you know, and that's good if they're charging, but not good if nobody else is charging because it will make you vulnerable. And so they would elect a strategist. And how they did that was the ecclesia elected it. In some cases, the ecclesia would nominate it and then everybody would decide to give their support or not give their support. And because they were becoming a democracy in many of these city-states, which is a, a not a big jump from a republic to a democracy, but it is a lethal jump. And eventually I'll put in, I'll, I'll put in links so that you can see that all, most people, uh, Polybius, uh, most of the people who really study history knew that all democracies fail. Now, somebody was just talking about, you know, republics usually only last about 200 years. Before republics die, they become democracies, either indirect or direct democracies. And then they die. It isn't that republics die. Republics are abandoned because people see the benefit of democracy. And here, now we're going to touch on one of the primary errors, which brings in the Arabalum, the, the deeds of the Nicolaitan, is democracy. Because you cannot have a democracy without opening up the door to the spirit of covetousness. Coveting the democracy by its nature, 51% of the people can take away the rights of the other 49. Now, you can put in rules in your democracy that it has to be two-thirds vote or three-fourths vote. But somehow or other, a portion of the right to choose, the liberty to choose, what the Greeks called exousia, is taken away, or at least dangled out there to be taken away, by a democracy. You do not have that in a republic. Now, there are direct democracies and indirect democracy. What's the difference? A direct democracy is when everybody votes. You know, you have 40,000 people that meet in an area, and they're all going to vote, and they're going to make a decision. 
And then the remaining people have to supposedly go along with that decision. But that's that's a direct democracy. An indirect democracy is where 40,000 people pick 4,000 people. And those 4,000 people go and vote and decide, you know, who who can do what, what can be done, uh, who's going to be the ruler, who's going to be the strategist. They decide. That's an indirect democracy. You pick this guy, but he's the one who actually goes and votes. That's kind of what goes on with the Electoral College. But when they created the Electoral College, America was called a republic. As a matter of fact, every single state was called a republic. See, that you're still having an election in a republic, but the difference between a republic and a democracy is the ones that you elect in a republic that hold a particular office their position is, and this was in the definition for hundreds of years for a republic, their position was titular. Titular means in name only. You're in charge of this. You're in charge of that. And so you may come up with a strategy of coordinating a particular thing, like you may go out and send out a notice to all the people that we've decided that we need to go to war with these hoplites over here who have been raiding villages here, 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 or cities, small cities, and we need to go to war with them to teach them to stop raiding our people over here in the north. And they announce that to all the people, and they're the ones who are elected by that indirect vote to bring that decision to the people. But in a republic, you can go, you cannot go. You get to decide. The decision is still in your hands as to whether you're going to support this battle or not. Now, if you see everybody going to the battle, you may go along with it. But the choice is still yours because the leaders are titular in name only. They hold a position, but the position is informatory. It isn't a position of power. In a democracy, an indirect democracy, when you elect a guy, he's going to tell you, we're going to war. And you're drafted. And you have to serve in the army. In order to do that, he's going to have to number the people. David tried to number the people. Now, they were told not to have a king. They were told not to force the offerings of the people to support the army of the king. Because if you do that, your whole nation will fail. That's what Samuel told Saul, we have that forced offering. We have that in the article about Saul and and King Saul and you know the Saul syndrome. You can look that up because he did this foolish thing of deciding to force an offering. And David did a foolish thing to number the people because he was going to draft people into the military. But. No, he was, he repented of that, realized, no, I have to, if, if the people don't want to join us, then we're not going to make them. So, but, there was something else that went on before all that, that made that work. If you don't do the thing before, then that's not going to work. People aren't going to show up. They're not going to help you defeat the enemy. And what you have to do is create a table, a system of social welfare that operates by charity. It has to be 
connecting people. And this is why Christ commanded that the people sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. This is why Moses organized the people in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. It, it is why Jethro brings that up, because Jethro was already doing that. It wasn't new to them any more than the Ecclesia was new to Christ. Christ knew what the Ecclesia was. All those people knew what the Ecclesia was. But his Ecclesia was a little bit different. Because Jesus wasn't starting a democracy. Moses didn't start a democracy. Uh, used to, in the Encyclopedia and Carta, which I read, you know, half a century ago, uh, it, it was telling us that, that one of the earliest republics was early Israel. It was a republic. The, the people were free from things public. That's what republic originally means. It doesn't mean things public. It comes from a Latin idiom, libera res publica. Libera res publica. In the ablative, that means free from things public. Because you're free from things public because your leaders are only titular. But it doesn't mean you don't have an ecclesia. It means the ecclesia cannot exercise authority one over the other. And of course, that was one of the doctrines of Jesus. It was in the, and somebody once said, if you use the S on your doctrines, you're not talking about Jesus because Jesus only had one doctrine. Well, yeah, I understand. And that's absolutely true from one point of view. Because you can't Except, you know, if if Jesus has a list of things that he puts in his doctrine, you know, like you're not to exercise authority one over the other, you're not to covet your neighbor's goods, you know, you're supposed to forgive. These are all things in, you know, the forgiveness doctrine, the grace doctrine, the faith, hope, and charity doctrine. But but all together, whatever Jesus said, put them all together in one package and write it all out and, you know, it's all the red letters of the Bible. That's the doctrine of Jesus Christ. It's singular. You can't separate out one. You say, oh, well, yeah, he said don't covet, but we want to covet, so we're going we're gonna to keep coveting. Oh, he said don't be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other, but we want to do that. Well, then it's not that you're not following the doctrine of Jesus Christ. You're following some of them. But you're not really... I mean, if, if can you follow Jesus Christ and Satan at the same time? Because they're not going the same way. One of the fond sayings I have is all roads lead to Rome. But all roads also lead to the kingdom of God. It just depends on directions. You're either going towards the kingdom of God and his righteousness, or you're going away from the kingdom of God towards unrighteousness. That that That's your choice. So anyway, this ecclesia of Christ was not picked by democratic process. You didn't elect all... Your ecclesia, all the, again, what were some of the other things that the ecclesia did? It appointed these judges. Now, if, if we go to, you know, a particular Greek guy, Cleisthenes, I think that's correct, in English letters, C-L-E-I-S-T-H, 
A-T-H-E-N-E-S. And he was an Athenian leader as well. And he introduced a system of political reforms that he called Democratia. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? Democratia. Democracy. And, what I mean, they already had a democracy around, but these political uh, Democratia was supposedly meant rule of the people. And that system was made uh, up in three separate institutions. And one of those institutions was called what? Ecclesia. <laughs> Isn't that Isn't that interesting? The Ecclesia, which was, you know, a governing body that uh wrote laws. That's what the governing body that now now we're talking about, you know, his democracy, his democratia, Cleisthenes. It's a democracy. His ecclesia wrote laws. So it's kind of like a legislature, isn't it? Writing laws. Okay. That can't be the same as Jesus Christ's ecclesia. Because Jesus Christ said you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles. And of course, this democratia was the government of the Gentiles. Because they were not to exercise authority one over the other. So, yeah, but they were still the ecclesia. They just didn't have the power to make laws. Now, you know, when I, I'm reading this, I think this was out of Britannica, this particular thing, because there are two other separate sections on this, which is a council of representatives, uh, which they call the bully. You know, bully, bully. <laughs> the bully was this Council of Representatives. So they're actually representing the people. So they're elected by the people. Uh, but they're not the ones who make the laws. The Ecclesia is the one who makes the laws. In, in his democracy. But Christ isn't, you know, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. It may qualify as a republic, but it does not qualify as a democracy. You can't elect a different Christ. And a lot of people are trying to do that, create a different Christ uh, with a different characteristic than the Christ. That was one of the things the preacher I was listening to this morning, I can't remember his name, I already closed it, but uh, somebody sent it to me in an email, is that he said that we have to focus on the life of Christ, not our life. That's absolutely true. But where is he going with that statement? How does he present Christ? Does he tell you what Christ was really doing? Well, I'm showing you here that a lot of the home churches that are out there, this is particularly Robert Banks and Julia Banks, from what I've read of their book, and I haven't read the entire thing, they're misleading the people by saying, and I quote them in this article now, that the word ecclesia just meant assembly. No, no, it didn't. There's lots of words in the in the Greek, that means assembly. Uh, agora means assembly. But uh, it, it means a specific kind of assembly. The, the whole assembly of the people. You know, a big assembly. There are others like a symposia, which means a very small assembly. That would be like a home church would be a symposia. But Christ didn't just start a scattered flock. He was a good shepherd and he's not going to have his flock scattered all over the place. 
He's going to put his flock together and bring it together. How does he do that? Does he do it by exercising authority one over the other? No, we're not to do that. And, and so if the ecclesia is not to write laws, what does the ecclesia do? Well, there, there was a problem right away amongst the church, which would be Peter and, and, and the different apostles and the seventy. You know, one of the revelations that finally just struck me and it just put so many of the pieces pieces together, you know. Like I say, you're gathering all the red pieces and the blue pieces and everything. And all of a sudden you get this one little section and this really fits and it fits into the blue. And you're, oh, that's a huge piece of the puzzle right here. Well, it was the fact that Jesus appointed 70. Well, Moses appointed 70. I, you know, you ask all kinds of ministers... Why did Jesus appoint 70? You go up to your, your pastor and you ask him, why did Jesus appoint 70? What were they supposed to do? What, what was their function? They don't know. I, I haven't found one yet. They can tell you that that was his Sanhedrin. Of course, they don't know that the Sanhedrin had just walked out because of the corruption in the government. Of course, that's when you usually call for an ecclesia. You call out, summon men, you know, that you trust to handle a particular task of, you know, reform. Because all these guys, Solon, uh, Draco, Draco was reforming what was before, but his form of reform was worse than ever, which is why we get the word draconian from, from him, from his name. Because in him was this spirit of taking away the rights and choices of others. And we see that rising in America, in the world today. It's coming about because of what you chose to do yesterday. And your parents chose to do the day before that. And I'm saying day is figuratively. We've been making these choices for almost a hundred years. And it's been setting us up for tyranny. Like Polybius said, you became accustomed to living at the expense of others and depending for your livelihood on the property of others. And it degenerated your society so you couldn't do anything about mass mandates and forced vaccinations. You whine and cry, but millions of people have taken those shots. And then now, it's a fact, it's statistically showing that the people that are dying and getting sick are all the people who got the vaccination. That's what the data is actually showing now. And and if if certain virologists and immunologists are right, which they said from the beginning, the real deaths will be we'll start seeing them next year. But we're all really distracted by all the things that they distract us with in the media, like you know, they raided Mar a Lago and they did this nasty thing to Trump and all that stuff could just disappear once they got something else to put in the headlines. Whenever they got these headlines going, you should be looking around behind you because something else is going on. You know, it, I'm I'm a guy who grew up in the swamps, in the bayous of Texas. I would catch water moccasins, which are cottonmouths, copperheads, coral snakes, rattlesnakes, sidewinders. Uh, alligators, giant snappers. <laughs> that was my playground, okay? 
I know that a swamp creature is most dangerous when you've got them cornered. If they feel cornered, I mean, a giant snapper could snap the end off a broomstick. And, uh, yeah, and he did. <laughs> what he didn't snap is the knife I had strapped to the front of the broomstick, which was my spear. <laughs> so, I understand swamp creatures. And uh, But what you don't understand is what the ecclesia is supposed to be doing. Your churches aren't doing it. Your pastors aren't doing it. They don't know what the Sanhedrin is. When did the Sanhedrin start to become corrupt? Well, it was after the first kings. Uh, There may have been some corruption even before Saul, which is maybe why they went to Saul, because the ecclesia should have been, you know, the, let's not say the ecclesia. Well, the ecclesia too, but the 70, the Sanhedrin, which is what Sanhedrin means, the 70, which is about 72 people. They should have been overseeing the criminality that was creeping into the judicial system that was in Israel at the time of Samuel. Because that's why they wanted to have a king. They wanted to have a king because judges were taking bribes. Who are these judges? Where did they come from? How were they established? See, most people don't know that. Most Jews don't know it. It's written right in the text. But once you shift the meaning of a few words, then you will start shifting the meaning of others because you're trying to fit a picture of the puzzle that ain't the picture. Moses was setting up a free system of government, a republic, of the people, for the people, and by the people, that could only survive if the people remained righteous. When the people became slothful, they would end up under tribute. When they became covetous, they would end up under tyrants. And that, of course, is what was happening, is that people were ending up under tyrants. So, a couple hundred years before Christ... Uh, at least 150, 160 years before Christ, there were some people, and I won't go into the whole arguments of, you know, who it was and all this stuff. They tried to turn the Sanhedrin into a legislature. Now, here we're seeing that the Ecclesia was a writer of laws. Let's go back to Peter. Looking out amongst themselves, he tells the people, look out amongst yourselves, pick men you trust. You pick them. So, you're literally nominating and electing people to perform a particular task because the daily ministration for the Greeks that are over there in Greece, it's not the local Greeks, it's the Greeks over there in Greece, are being neglected. They're having trouble and they need help and they're neglected. We need to have some way of getting help to them. And he says, okay. It's not right that we wait on tables. And again, I said this this morning. We've got articles. Look up tables at Preparing You. They're banks. Why are banks important? Because that's a way of moving money around through a vast area and buying supplies. They maybe have to buy some supplies over here in Ephesus or maybe over here in Syria and ship them to the Greeks in Corinth. Or, you know, that's a harbor right there in Corinth, and so they can ship them right to them, and they will get the supplies, and they will be distributed amongst the Christians so they don't starve. So this, this, 
They needed somebody who could facilitate that. You know, buy, if you're buying large amounts of grain in Egypt and shipping them to Rome by ship, which they did. We talked about that this morning. I mean, they had ships that could hold thousands of pounds of grain. Tons and tons of grain. Hundreds of passengers. It wasn't these little, you know, lightweight rowing ships. These are huge floating cities. They, the Romans built those. And they would bring in acres of wheat every day and fill their their silos with wheat and then bake the breads and then that means people have to bring wood and, and it was a huge economy. People Business was booming. But they were also creating a welfare state. And you need to not create a welfare state when you're trying to do this. So, anyway, they needed to get supplies around. And they needed to have some way of not neglecting the daily administration. They needed some way to move funds. Because they could take up a collection, but, you know, what do you put in a little bag and one guy carries it over and he's going, how, how are you going to buy grain in Egypt with money you collected in your pocket and, you know, your ten families in a home church and you're going to help them out. Well, no. It says it's not right that we wait on the bank. We run the bank. We shouldn't be doing that. We're the church. So you pick. This is the law that they could make. Because it's not ruling over you. They're giving you back your choice, your power. You look out amongst yourselves. You find men you trust you tell us who they are. You elect them amongst yourselves. And we will appoint them over this matter. Because we're the ecclesia. We're outside of, you know, the governments of the world. We're, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We don't get any benefits from Caesar. We're separate from the world. The Levites were separate. They were not only separate from the world, they are separate from the people. They're not better than the people. The, the people is not their source of enlightenment. The Holy Spirit is their comforter, not the ministers. See, what's happened is your ministers have become your comforter. And they comfort you by tickling your ears and telling you you're saved because you said the magic words. Nonsense. They are your social welfare. When the state becomes your social welfare, the fabric of a free society is wrecked, rotten, ruined. And we can give you hundreds of quotes from historians and from philosophers that show you this always happens. So anyway, they had the boule, that's Council of Representatives. Well, you have that in the Ecclesia. Your ministers are your representatives. Because your minister is going to pick another minister to be his minister. With ten other ministers, they're going to get together and they're going to pick a minister. So that's your boule. So that's that's the second part. You got the ecclesia, you got the boule. Except we don't call them boule. We, we call them, or boule, we call them ministers. And, uh, and they'll just keep going up and creating this tens, hundreds, thousands, fifty thousand, five hundred thousands. But nobody's exercising authority. You still have the power because you still control the purse strings. If you're in a government that forces the contributions of the people... You're not free. You're back in Egypt again. 
Not everybody is, but you can actually start seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Now, the 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 last thing was the dicasteria, which is popular courts. That was another branch. And we call them cities of refuge in the Old Testament, so you can look that up. But before I run out of time, I'm looking at the clock here. I'm giving you a brief look at the kingdom by looking at kingdoms of the world and showing you the difference and distinction between the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is returning every man to his family and every man to his possessions so that now you still have to have redistribution of wealth in the kingdom of God. But you have control. You decide who you want to give to. Now, this is a responsibility. You give to a minister and he doesn't do anything good with it. You better find yourself another minister. If he just bought a million dollars worth of gold jewelry, he's not a minister of Christ. He's a a minister of something, but it has nothing to do with Christ. If he has a big mansion and servants and jets around, then he's... He's not, you know, I always remember a pastor I talked to. This is, this is, uh, it's over half a century ago. I, I was working in a discount store as a manager in there, in Wisconsin. And then I asked this guy, he was bright, this guy was t- showing us his car. It was a Cadillac, a really nice Cadillac, and, you know, roll up windows and air conditioning, really good heating, and all this kind of stuff. And I said, So what do you do for a living? And he says, Oh, I'm a pastor. I said, you're a pastor and you afford a Cadillac? He says, well, yeah, I, I go and, and speak in several churches, so, you know, I have to be refreshed and, and, and uh, rested when I get there, and this Cadillac is really a comfortable ride. And, you know, I didn't mean anything facetious about it. I didn't mean to pick on the guy. But it was just so astounding because... The Spirit of Christ in me was coming into conflict with the Spirit of whatever was in him. And I said, you know, if an ass was good enough for Jesus, a Volkswagen might be good enough for you. Now, I wouldn't recommend a Volkswagen. This was northern climate, and they couldn't keep you warm. <laughs> You'd might freeze to death. They were great in driving in snow and stuff uh, because of the location of the engine, but uh, they were air-cooled, and it... Once you got down to a certain temperature, which we got down to regularly, you could freeze to death. But there was a lot of other cars he could have got. He didn't need a Cadillac. I thought that was an abuse of funds. And at that time, I had no idea what the church really should be doing. And when we get into, you know, the Church of Constantine and and how the apostasy began to creep in uh, to the thinking of people who are calling themselves Christians but not really Christians, so that we get to this point where most of the people who say they're Christians, say they believe in Jesus actually don't believe in Jesus, aren't following the doctrine of Jesus, aren't doing what Jesus said. They're doing more of what the Pharisees said than of what Jesus said. So, understanding these different things, and so, you know, all I can do is recommend that you that you listen to Keys of the Kingdom on a regular basis. You start you joining the network, start getting into congregations that are actually learn to be as concerned about you as they are about themselves, concerned about your rights, concerned about your children as much as they are concerned about themselves, and then start strengthening those bonds, the warp and weft of the fabric of a free society by actually doing what Christ said. Because Christ said, 
Not those who say they believe. Not those who say they follow Christ. Not those who say they love or worship Christ to say, Lord, Lord. But those who do it the will of the Father. And Paul says those who are covetous and backbiters and all these other things that he lists off in the big long list. They have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And we should turn away from them. And our times are coming and we may have to turn away from more people than we really want to turn away from. So, you need to actually get serious about doing what Christ said. And actually start doing it and stop pretending that you believe in Jesus because you said the magic words or because you go to church and you sing songs and you get really emotional and and touched in your heart because you really care about Jesus. If you care about Jesus, you have to do the will of the Father. Then you will abide in His love. Now, He's going to love you anyway, but you won't abide in His love. If you're not abiding in the love of Christ... You may not be protected. As a matter of fact, you may even be cast out. And it's not my job to cast you out. Because I don't exercise authority. But I'm telling you what the consequences of not doing what Jesus actually said. So, ecclesia is not just an assembly. It has a job to do. It doesn't exercise authority over you. It doesn't dictate doctrine. The doctrines of Christ are declared. Now, a lot of people are going to be confused about it and they have to work on that. But that's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. But you have to have the conversation. Anybody who's creating a doctrine and say, you have to believe this way or you're out. I'm just saying, you want to abide in the love of Christ, you have to find out what Christ was really saying. And when he made, he called out his ecclesia, he explains what they're supposed to be doing. If your church is not taking care of all the social welfare of your congregants, if your congregation is not taking care of all the social if you're sending people to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority, men of the world, men of the constitutional orders and system of government, look up pure religion. If you're doing that, then... You're not following Christ. You're not doing what Christ said. And you need you have need of repentance. And if your pastors aren't explaining this to you, they need to. Or you need to change pastors. You need to find a different pastor. And your pastor is supposed to be a shepherd. He's not supposed to rule over you or anything like that. But one of the main jobs of a shepherd... And a shepherd does feed the sheep. Somebody was saying that. Shepherds don't feed the sheep. They just guide them. No, at times they feed the sheep. But they feed them with what... I mean, they they were rightly dividing the bread from house to house. That's feeding the people. They were sending supplies to Corinth and to Galatia. And Galatia sending funds to other people. Corinth was actually... Paul had some bad things to say about Corinth. <laughs> that they they were giving less than anybody else. And he thought that was pretty poor on their part. Because they were one of the first ones to be helped. Not the first, but one of the first. But then they were, you know, they already had a system of social welfare based on force. And that's what Paul was saying. You need to change that if you're going to be free. 
you need to know the whole history of Corinth. I mean, Corinth was wiped out. And this is one of the things that I was talking about. I don't know if I'll have time to point it all out. This spirit of taking control over your neighbor, to take away the choice of your neighbor, has become pervasive in America and all over the world today, where you want benefits at the expense of your neighbor. This is bringing in the Dracos of the universe, the draconian reality that is going to destroy America and a lot of other people. Now, eventually we'll survive. The U.S. probably won't survive, but America will survive. Some people will survive. But it will be up to you to repent, turn around, and go the way of Christ. That is that is your job. But until you do that, all I can say is peace on your house and may God be with you. I'm looking for the... Uh, <laughs> Outro. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.